I want you to think about your life. I want to think about how you're living now and how that differs from the life that you should be living. Good morning, my name is Nicholas Ackert. I'm a senior in high school. Um, I'm on staff here on the Buildings and Grounds team and I've been coming to this youth group for about seven years. This morning, Jack and I have been given the gift to preach to you guys about what we've been studying in Philippians 1 on the topic to live as Christ and to die as gain. So the question that I asked you at the beginning, how does your life differ? How does the life you're living now differ from the life you should be living? I want you to be thinking about that question throughout our sermon. So before I dive into the scripture of this message to live as Christ, I want to tell you a story of a martyr named Jim Elliot. Now, Jim Elliot was a missionary who served alongside the famous missionary pilot Nate Saint. Now, Jim, Nate, and a couple others flew into the Ecuadorian jungle, and they were flying around, and they found this village. Now, this village was full of people who were cannibals, and so it was a very dangerous place to be. Now, Jim and Nate and all of them, they had this conviction that they needed to go and evangelize these people, which is a very scary conviction because they're cannibals and they could literally kill them. So Jim was faced with a problem. He was put in a dangerous situation and he was given a choice. He could, one, either cower away and not spread the gospel, or two, he could risk his life and proclaim Jesus. Now, obviously, because I'm telling you about him today, he chose the right thing and he chose to try and evangelize to these people. One thing he wrote in his journal was, I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. So through both his words and his actions, he lived out what we're going to be talking about today, which is to live as Christ. Now, Jim lived for Christ as long as he could, and he preached as best as he could, but in the end, he was killed for his faith. And in that, he fulfilled the second half of that, what I've been saying is to live as Christ, to die as Cain, because he died for his faith. And it was gained because he got to be with Jesus forever. Now, I know I keep saying this verse, to live as Christ, to die as Cain, so I'm going to say it again, so bear with me, and I'm going to keep saying it all today. But we're going to be diving into Philippians 1.21 and the surrounding verses. But before we dive into the text too much, the other important thing to do is to look at the context of the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote, and he wrote it to the church of Philippi. Now, while Paul is writing this letter, he's in literal chains for Christ. Paul's in jail because he was on a second missionary journey, planting churches, preaching to different people, and he was incarcerated for preaching the gospel. Now, Paul had a lot of time on his hands. He was in prison for quite a while. And so instead of using that time to be angry, he wrote to all the different churches that he planted along his journeys. Now, the main purpose of this letter, Philippians, is to encourage the Philippian church to live as citizens of a heavenly city, growing in their commitment to serve God and one other, a.k.a. live like Jesus because he is the supreme example of how to live like, like this. In very, very simple words, the main purpose of this letter is to live like Jesus. Now, there's also some side purposes that we won't dive in too much today, but I think it's important that I mention them. So first, he wanted to tell them that Epaphrodites had recovered from a serious illness. Second, he wanted to encourage the Philippians in their faith. Third, he wanted to assure them that he was doing all right, even though he was in prison. And fourth, he wanted to thank them for their continuous support. Now, the other main part about Philippians is it's a very joyous book. The whole book is filled with this tone of joy. It uses the joy, word joy and rejoice more than a dozen times. So, back to our main purpose, to live like Jesus. Now, that's great and all, but why is it so important? 
Well, as Christians, it's important to live this lifestyle of to live as Christ because our lives are but hevel. One moment we're here and the next moment we're gone. So it doesn't matter whether we live or whether we die, whether we're persecuted or whether we're praised. Everything we do must be for Christ because he's the one who we we will be with forever. Now, I believe that the purpose for which Paul lived was exactly this. He lived with eternity in mind, and so he lived for Christ. The verse Philippians 1.21 is very well known in the church, and it's exactly how Christians are supposed to live. And although we're supposed to live in this way, so often we fall short. Now, as we go through this sermon, we'll talk about what it looks like to fulfill this verse. Because living for Christ is our main job as Christians. And like I said, it's one of the most difficult things we have to do. Now, I know we all fall short in this, and that includes myself. So in order to offer you all some encouragement on how to do this very immensely difficult lifestyle, Jack and I have three main points on how and why we need to live for Christ. The first being dependence on Christ. Now, Paul describes this in Philippians 1, but he uses verse 18 and 19 to, do, to describe how to live dependently on Christ. He uses himself as an example through all the different things that he's been through in his experiences. Paul learned through his experiences not to be dependent on himself, but to depend on the generous provisions of God through his Holy Spirit. In this section of Philippians, Paul gives us three ways to be dependent on Christ. And I'm Although I'm sure that Paul had his faults, and I know he wasn't perfect, he does an amazing job of using himself as an example and living out his faith, and he truly lives for Christ. So verse 18. Philippians 1.18 says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Now remember the context of this verse. Paul's in prison for Christ. He's in chains for Christ. He was on a second missionary journey. He was incarcerated, all for preaching the gospel. And rather than using his time to be angry or upset about everything that was happening to him, he chose to put Christ first, and he wrote letters to all the churches he had planted to encourage them. So, Paul had a whole lot on his plate. He was in pain. He was in suffering. He was in prison. But instead of being angry about that, he lived with joy. Instead of living with fear and anger and bitterness, he lived with joy. That is how we need to live as Christians. In order to be dependent on Christ, we must be joy-filled in everything that we do. Sometimes life stinks. We can be tested in different ways. We can be hurt by different people and more. It's easy to make everything about ourselves and the moment that we're in, and we can become angry and bitter and forget all about Jesus and what he's done for us. So, I'm going to give you guys a minute to write something down. I want to ask you a question. What is something that you are struggling to live with joy through and it's blocking your relationship with Christ? So I'm going to give you guys like 30 seconds. Write something down because we're going to come back to it. Okay, so whatever you wrote down, I'm sure that it's hard to go through, and that's okay. But the thing is, no matter what circumstance we are in, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you wrote down, Christ can be proclaimed, and that's all the joy you need. It doesn't matter what you're going through, because Christ will be proclaimed, and that's all that you need. So the second thing that Paul brings up in 
this chapter is perspective. Verse 19 says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now remember, Paul's in chains for Christ, but instead of being angry and bitter, he continued to push and work through those burdens of those chains in order to serve his king because he lived with a different mindset than most. Paul lived with the future in mind. So often we live focused on ourselves in, that, in the current moments that we're in. Whatever you wrote down, it's so easy to just live in that moment and just be like, oh, poor me, poor me, I'm going through this. But that's not what Paul did. The future that Paul lived for was not of this earth, but was of eternity in heaven alongside his Lord and King Jesus. Paul knew that if he gave up on his mission to serve Christ, all would be lost. And so he continued to fight for Christ through the pain the prosecution, and the persecution that he was receiving. Paul knew that Christ would deliver him through his steadfastness, meaning that he serves his king because ultimately he gets to live alongside his king. Now, obviously, Paul's works aren't the things that are delivering him. In fact, the verse quite literally says, my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is merely doing his best to live out his faith. It's similar to what James 2.18 says. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, we need to live looking to the future. No matter what circumstance you wrote down or what difficulty you're going through, Christ can deliver you. And even if he chooses to let you sit in whatever circumstance you're in, the thing to remember is pain is temporary, but our relationship with Christ is eternal. So the third and final thing that Paul talks about with dependence on Christ is having a submissive attitude. Now, ultimately, Paul knows that even if he dies in prison or he stays in prison for a whole lot longer, Christ's reputation will be furthered and his name will be shared. Now, after everything that Paul had been through from being beaten, spit at, thrown in jail, after all that, a normal person would think that he failed. A normal person would think Christ isn't, or Paul isn't supposed to keep preaching because he failed. But Paul knew better than that. Paul didn't stop because he knew his suffering had a reason. Paul recognized that God's sovereignty is greater than his own sovereignty. Paul recognized that God's plan is greater than his own plan. So who is Paul to stand up to God and quit? Now, God is so sovereign and has a sovereign plan. And we know this because he shows that over and over again in the Bible. For example, we have the story of Job, where Job went through a whole lot of suffering, and then he stood up to God, and God was like, who are you? I'm God, and you're a little man. Like, you can't come up to me like this. The story of Abraham, where Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son, and so he trusted in the Lord's sovereignty, and he went along with it. Or the story of Joseph, where Joseph was beaten and sold into slavery, but in the end came up and said, what you meant for evil God did for good. Life is full of struggles and difficulties, but that doesn't mean that we can give up. So I want to give you a little picture of what this looks like. So picture some gold, right? Gold is this beautiful, expensive thing, but it doesn't start that way. Gold starts in the ground, and it's full of dirt and mud. Gold is destined to be refined by fire. Even though that fire is hot and uncomfortable, and the gold probably doesn't like being melted down in it, it's what makes the gold beautiful. In the same way, as Christians, we're going to go through hard things. 
We're going to go through those circumstances, and they will be uncomfortable. But God is sovereign, and he uses those uncomfortable things to refine us. As Christians, it's very important to live dependent on Christ. And we must do this by living joyfully, even through the pain and the suffering and the fires of this world, by trusting in God's sovereignty and looking up onto the future. So Jack's going to come up and he's going to continue with this idea of to live as Christ and to die as gain. So how was Paul able to do all this? How was Paul able to depend and submit to Christ in the way that he did? And that leads us to our second main point, which is to live is Christ. In verse 20, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. When we read that, we interpret it differently than how Paul originally wrote it. When Paul wrote eagerly expect and hope, he wrote them as nouns and not verbs. The noun is apokara dokia, and it's built up from four different parts. Kara, meaning head, dikomaya, whatever that is, to stretch, apo, which is concentration and ignoring all else, and ellipse, which means hope. When you put all of those together, instead of eagerly expect and hope, we're left with unreserved waiting and founded hope. Well, what does that mean? Unreserved waiting means Paul's single-mindedness. There's nothing on this earth that can distract Paul from getting the glory to God, from giving God his glory. There's nothing that can distract Paul from that. And he knows this because he has founded hope. His hope is in the rock of Christ and not in the sand of this world. He knows that he won't be shaken in his goal to glorify God. So altogether, Paul looks forward to the struggle. He anticipates it because he knows it will bring God the glory that he is due. And he also knows that he will have the sufficient strength to do so because God will give it to him. Because Paul knows that our God is a jealous God. And our God desires the glory and the honor and the praise that he is due. And he will give us the strength to do that. And Paul knew that. And notice that Paul says, he he does not say, I will exalt Christ. Paul says, Christ will be exalted through my body. Well, what does that mean? If Paul said, I will exalt Christ, that gives him the glory. That gives him the spotlight. It says, look what I did for Christ. But when Paul says, Christ will be exalted in my body, it's Paul going to God and saying, God, my body is yours. My life is yours. Use me how you see fit, and it will glorify you. So Paul's essence relied on Christ living through him and acting through him. And that leads us to verse 21. For me to live is Christ. Paul's actions were bigger than he could ever be. What he was doing was more than any human being could ever do. Paul was moving from country to country, establishing churches, meeting up back with those churches, meeting friends, spiritually building up those friends, and dealing with his own battles. I can't do that. And I doubt the average person can do that. But only God, through Paul, could he do those things. In Galatians 2.20, goes into this more. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. 
the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This means that when we live, Christ lives. And you cannot have one without the other. As Christians, we cannot live and not have Christ living through us. If we believe and we call ourselves Christians, we need to live this way. And since because Christ is now living through us, who should we then focus on? Who should we suffer? Who should we die for? Who should we glorify? It shouldn't be ourselves. I mean, that wouldn't make sense because Christ is now living in us. And Christ wouldn't glorify ourselves. Instead, we should do everything as Christ did for the glory of our Father. We need to follow his example and suffer all things under the sun that the Father has in store for us. Despite the pain that it will bring us, because just like Christ did, he focused only on the glory that it would bring his heavenly Father and not on the pain that he would receive. So we should pray and desire that we should get a glimpse of the suffering that Christ experienced. Because through Christ's experience of suffering, he was able to not only glorify, but praise and honor our Heavenly Father. And through our sufferings, we can do that too. And not only did Christ did this, but Paul did this. And since Christ lives in us, we should do this. And what we do has a direct correlation to what we worship. So since Christ lives in us, like I say, keep saying over and over again, since Christ lives in us, the actions that we do should only point towards Christ and our Heavenly Father and give Him glory. And also to live as Christ, that means we must die as gain. Philippians 1.18 earlier says, because of my chains, others have become confident. Paul knows that if he were to die, others would become confident. Earlier in verse 18, others have become confident because of my chains, and they dare all the more to share the gospel and boldly proclaim the word of Christ. If that's what dying brings, then Paul was all for it because his single-mindedness was only focused on Christ and bringing him glory. Paul knew he was in jail for being a traitor for Rome. If he was found guilty for that, he would die. And others in the body of Christ also knew that if he was found guilty, he would be put to death. But Paul also knew that if that were to happen, they would be glorified. Because Paul did not follow Rome, but instead he followed Christ. So whatever that led him to, he was joyful in it. And death is more than just death. We can die physically, spiritually, through our suffering. When we stop relying on our strength, on how we act, and how we recover from our sufferings, that can lean on Christ. That can show the light of Christ. Because how I respond, it's through my body. It's not me who's doing it. It's Christ who's responding. During the summer, I had shin splints in both of my knees, stress fractures in both of my shins. And the doctor said that they should be healed before July 4th. However, we were on a missions trip to Honduras in early August, and they were still there. Um, and it was extremely discouraging. But God had a plan for it that could be better than anything that I could have in store. One of the things that we were able to do is help lead the kids and help lead them in the VBS. And those kids love running around. So I was running around with them and doing crazy stuff like jumping off of hills and things like that that made the kids laugh and smile. And my shins did not like that at all. But all I had to do was tell myself that to live is Christ, to die is gain. My suffering and my shins hurting 
is gained because the kids there, they got to experience Christ's sacrificial love. The joy and the smiles that it brought them was enough for me to keep on going and doing it the next day. We did volleyball camp, and the kids got tired of volleyball. It was in the hot Honduran sun. No one wants to be in that. So we went into the shade, and we started running around and playing tag. Later, the kids noticed that I was really fast. So they wanted to race, and we raced over and over and over and over again, and my legs got worse and worse and worse and worse. But through that, my reliance on Christ only grew each time my legs got worse. Because after each race, I had to tell myself, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This body is not my own. My life is not my own. When we give our lives to Christ and accept the gift of salvation that he gives us, we give him everything that we have. That means what's mine isn't mine anymore. Instead, it's God's. My life is God's. My mouth is God's. And that's a hard one. My eyes are God's. My hands are God's. My money is God's. And my time is God's. And therefore, since my life is no longer my own, my will can no longer be my own. I have to let go of my will and lean on Christ's will for my life. God's will has to become my will for my life. And this leads us into our third point. To live as Christ means serving Jesus through fruitful labor. Many of us here, ooh, our lives have to become, we have to give them to God. Our will has to become God's will for our lives. And we say, oh, that's great and all, but how do we do that? Well, luckily, we are able to read Paul walk this out in his own life. We're able to read his thoughts and how he wrestled and ultimately got to the conclusion he ended at, ultimately living as Christ. So step one of what Paul did is to pour out our hearts before God. Verses 22 and 23 say, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Paul acknowledges the both things that he desires. Living in the body and producing fruitful labor for God's kingdom and also dying and being united with Christ for eternity. And that's what we need to do when we seek out God's will. We need to pour out everything and lay it all on God's feet. We need to open and soften our hearts so God can speak to us and we will actually listen. And this is what Christ did in the garden before he was arrested and sentenced to crucifixion. Matthew 26, 39, and 42 tell the story of Jesus in the garden moments before being arrested, beaten, and crucified. It says, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And in verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. So God already knows our hearts and our desires. But if we don't pour it out to his feet, and if we don't humble ourselves and make ourselves open to what God has to say, nothing will get done. We need to do like Christ did. He wanted the cup. He wanted the pain to be removed from him. Because that's a lot. To carry the sins of the world, that's a lot of pain. But what he wanted more, despite the pain, was to serve the Father and bring him glory. And since Christ lives in us, that should be what we desire too. And we see this in Paul. When he disregards his own will, he says that he wants to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But he ignores it and he embraces God's will for his life. And he is 
know, he knows for a fact that he will stay and produce fruitful labor for God in his kingdom. And that leads to the second step. While we embrace God's will for our lives and we pour out our hearts and we know for a fact what God wants us to do, we need to do it. And in Paul's case, this was serving the body. And since Paul's life was Christ and to live was to be like Christ, he had two desires. To depart and be with Christ, which will bring more joy than anything else on earth that we could ever experience. Or to remain in the body and to remain in the body, to serve and produce fruitful labor for others and God's kingdom. But which option benefited God, the people, our brothers and sisters, and ourselves? That would be remaining and producing fruitful labor, which glorifies God, encourages other believers, and gives Paul joy. It gives Paul joy because the only thing on his mind is Christ. And since he is single-minded, only focused on Christ... Anything that he can do, whether living or dying, will bring him joy because it's focused on Christ and it will benefit the kingdom of God. As we move into verses 24 and 26, they say, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know. Let's go back. Like we said, Paul knew God's will for his life. So notice Paul doesn't say, I think I'll remain or I'm pretty sure I'll remain. He knows for a fact that this is God's will for his life. So Paul says, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. If Paul was going to go live on going through the body, it would be serving fruitful labor for him and that's what it looked like. Serving and caring for others so that they may boast all the more in Christ. And this is what got Paul up every morning. He was single-minded, focused on Christ. There was nothing in this life that could get Paul going like Christ did. The only thing that motivated and the only thing that Paul was dedicated to was Christ and giving him glory. So this is what Paul's desire was, and this is what he was able to do. Why was he able to do this? Why was this his desire? It's because he knew Jesus. It's because Jesus changed his life. When you go from two completely different people, and when God changes your life so dramatically, the only response is to give him everything that you have. And that's what Paul did. And as soon as he did that, there was no going back. You can't go back from unsaved to saved to unsaved. Once you're saved, you're saved. You're in God's grasp, and nothing will get you out of that. And Paul says this in verse 23, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And there cannot be one without the other. If we give our lives to Christ and we make ourselves living temples that Christ can embody, we cannot live and not live as Christ. If we declare ourselves as Christians and identify ourselves with Christ, we cannot live a life without Christ. So before we land the plane, we have four summons to go through, so buckle up. Firstly, we need to only focus on Christ. Paul served for the progress and joy of others. He served so that more people would boast in Christ, and boasting in Christ would be more common, and Christ would be proclaimed all the more. And he did this because of all Jesus did for him. But do we do this? If not, what's holding us back? When we think about it at the end of our lives, what's more valuable, retirement or salvation? 
A 401k or salvation? Christmas presents, a new car, fame, popularity, a raise, or salvation? Nothing we compare to salvation will ever come close or ever compare. So I ask again, what's holding us back? Secondly, we need to embrace God's will for our lives. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does this mean? This means adopt the mindset of to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was eagerly accepting with joy the faith that the Father placed on him. Paul's attitude to the Roman officials was, if you kill me, I'll be united with Christ. If you let me live, that'll mean I'll go on serving and producing fruitful labor for God's kingdom. Let me suffer, then I will share in my sufferings with the body of Christ, and they will be encouraged through my situation. See how Paul could nothing, nothing could bring Paul down when he has this mindset. And we need to adopt this mindset because everything we worry about, Paul wasn't worried about. Paul had bigger fish to fly than, oh, we need to get groceries today and we're out of gas. Paul was waiting to know if he was going to get killed or not. And yet he still had joy. So we need to focus on Jesus and nothing else. And we don't do that. I don't do that. So what we need to do is we need to rid ourselves of every distraction and every temptation so that we can renew our mind and lock our gaze in on Christ and his glory. And that alone. Dr. Martin Lord Jones says it perfectly when he says, I have one passion, and it is he and he alone. And that's what we need to adopt. Thirdly, we need to rejoice and have joy in our suffering. Why? Because to the unbeliever, Jesus is not important. He's small and unimportant. It's forgetful. But we are like a telescope when we suffer. When we suffer, the way we respond, Christ will be magnified. And through that magnification, the unbeliever can see how big and how powerful Christ really is. So when we suffer, don't keep it to ourselves but share it with the people around us so they can see how Christ is moving in us and how it's not us who's acting, but it's Christ. Fourthly, we need to testify. All of this is obtainable because Christ is living in us. And because of Jesus taking up our sins on the cross, being tortured, beaten beyond human recognition, and being crucified, yet he forgave us and he loved us while we're despising him. So if we have Christ, then Christ lives in us. And if we have Christ, then to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if we haven't accepted that yet, then we can today. And when we do accept Jesus into our lives, we need to live differently. Just like Paul was. Before Paul, there was Saul. And Saul's job and what he joyed and delighted in was killing the body of Christ. And on his way to go kill and persecute, Christ met him on the road and blinded him. He was later healed by the same man that he was about to have joy in killing. And yet he healed him. And immediately, Paul ate some food, got up and was baptized, and went out preaching the gospel. So what's our excuse for waiting? 
In the span of a day, Paul went from murderer to preacher of the gospel. He testified what God did in his life because what God does in our life, if we don't share that, God misses out on the glory and the honor that he is due. So we need to testify. No matter what place or walk, of, or walk in Christ that we are in, we need to testify of what he's doing so that God may receive the glory and the honor that he is due. Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for, the, thank you for your word. And thank you that we have the ability to learn from it. And God, you give us the ability to change and lean on you. And God, I pray that you will give us all the mindset of to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that you'll give us the sufficient strength so that when we suffer, we can still glorify you and that others may be encouraged through our suffering. And God, I thank you for this day, and I pray that we will be able to walk this out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.